You're listening to Overtired on ESN with Insomniac, Christina Warren, and Brett Terpstra. How's it going, Christina? I'm great. How are you, Brett? I'm I'm normal. I tried a, I tried. They call it a drug break when you when you take a lot of meds and you don't know what's doing what anymore, so you take like a week off. I've done that. I made it a day and a half. It, it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to do. I've done that myself, and. Uh, it's interesting, but it's yeah, it's it's really rough. It's well, it's, like, imagine, it's valuable information, I'm sure. Yes, but it's, it's painful for the body. It yes. is, and it's painful for the body. And I would imagine, like, since you work from home, that is the best way to do it. Last time I did it, it was while I was still actually going into the office every day, and you know, so I was trying to have to like mask my, you know, internal awful things that were happening exactly i I didn't want to say psychosis because that's not accurate but you know what i mean but like the internal things that were happening to me would have to like mask them from the people at work uh but there were many times when i just wanted to to shout do you understand i'm not on any drugs at all i'm totally unmedicated and i'm going crazy but i didn't say those things because that wouldn't be appropriate in, in public company See, I, if i worked in an office and i did that people would be begging me just to take my meds I'm not, I, I'm not myself. I, you know, people complain that they don't want to take meds for psych, right. psych meds because they <laughs> because won't be themselves make, anymore. Exactly. Cracks me up. And I'm always like, no, actually I, I'm myself because of my medication. People, people are always like, oh, you don't seem depressed. I'm like, well, right. Because I take drugs. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I've been through both versions of myself. And the, the one that makes me feel like myself is the one that properly takes medication and pays attention to uh, chemical balance. Yeah. Nice. So, um, d- Snowden. Let's talk about Snowden. Yeah, let's talk about Edward Snowden, um, who we both, I think, kind of have crushes on. I, w- I would call mine a strong admiration and uh, hesitantly... Because I still am not 100% convinced about his motivations, but if they are what I think they are, I consider him a hero for our time. And I think we've talked about him we have. earlier. We but- have. And, and no, and I, 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 um, have you seen Citizen Four, the documentary that Laura Poitras directed about him and about how the whole revelations came out, that entire process? It's on my list of things to do when I don't want movies full of explosions. It's really, really good. And it's really worth... Um, watching because it you get a real sense into um who he is to a certain extent i mean you don't know a lot about him obviously but his motivations become pretty clear and that to me is is really um really enlightening i guess i should say I, the documentary was really well done and it was a really good study on both you know the perspective from the journalists you know who were kind of brought into the situation and then you see him you know as he's getting ready you know to kind of go into exile and and you see as as the revelations as they break and it becomes national news you know he's in this hotel room in hong kong watching the news and you can kind of read on his face that it's setting in just how much everything's changing and he was willing to make that bet he was willing to give up everything um but you know, there's still some sort of harrowing about it when, you know, the, there's there's a scene where the the phone rings in the hotel room and it's somebody from the Wall Street Journal wanting to know 
you know, if they can talk to him, that they've got, they found him, you know, and, and, and he has to switch hotel rooms and, and stay with Glenn Greenwald because, you know, at this point, um, he knows that he's got, you know, a matter of hours before he's basically got to get out of the country and, and, and try to find a place to, to seek asylum. And, um, it's just, uh, it's a really good film and he's a really interesting person. I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that provided his motivations are what they are, but actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go a step further. Even if his motivations were not pure, even if he had other motivations, I think the information that he's revealed um, is so important. Oh, it's, that it's, it's the, a historical turning point that I, I, I don't even care. I mean, I think that he obviously it's, it's a better narrative and it makes us all feel better if his motivations were because he really felt like this is going too far and, and someone needs to know about what's happening. Right. And, and, and this is how we save our country and save kind of our future. But even if they were, they were, you know, there was something else behind them, I don't even care. Well, and to me, the alternative is unless there's some deep conspiracy, the alternative is that he was just seeking attention. And you're right. Even if that were the case. He still, what he did and what he sacrificed to do it, still, it, it's, it changes our current society in the U.S. Actually, yeah. around the world. Completely. It, so, it completely does. So let's talk about why we're bringing him up again. The, uh, there was a sim heist. And all of the codes that are used to supposedly protect our, our communications... Um, on the wireless uh, cell phone network are actually been they've been um, compromised for a while now. Yeah, we have no privacy, and I think we all, all of us in at least the tech community, have been aware for a while. Actually, probably from the beginning, that cell phones were a bad idea for privacy. Um, Definitely, and there was a, you know. That's why people always say, you know, using a hard line, you know, um, using a secure line, because the idea that, that yeah, I mean, yeah, this is taking place over a wireless network, and this is a digital conversation in the purest sense, and, and there's a way to monitor it more than likely, because it's just packets going back and forth. See, the fear has shifted over time, because there was a point where people would prefer to call you and tell you their social security number than send it in an email, because calling would be secure, and then... Uh, 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 like 2.4 gigahertz wireless phones came to be and listening it was easy from within a block and then people started reconsidering like phone privacy and then email became like considered the more secure way to do it and then you know the the pgp crowd has always had their own smart ways of handling it but for the general public that kind of uh sense of security has been like jumping back and forth. And honestly, I think the only secure thing to do right now is talk to a person face to face. Yeah. I hacked a, we had a police scanner. It, yeah, it, it was like, a, it was an old police scanner from Radio Shack. And we, with one solder, uh, just two points on the, on the chipboard for it, you could make it pick up uh, the taxi cabs in Minneapolis. <laughs> and at that point, taxi cabs, they phoned in and read out loud every credit card number and name and home address of passengers that wanted to pay with a credit card. And we'd sit, this is my dorm room at the University of Minnesota, and we'd sit and it would be out in the background and you'd, you know, you'd hear it start and we'd be, we'd have like a pad and pencil around and 
that to me like th- having that experience makes me very cautious about considering any technology secure no without a doubt without a doubt and and, and it becomes one of those things i think especially you know when we've known how much the cell phone companies themselves can capture and what they can do, you know, even taking aside the security of the SIM cards, you know, just knowing the wireless carriers, what capabilities they've had, as we've seen over time, of being able to just get really detailed information. Um, I, I don't think that any of this was surprising, except to the extent that, you know, they got in basically at the ground floor. I mean, this was, this was smart, you know, the intercept Glenn Greenwald and, uh, uh, re- reported on this, and um, it was, uh, you know, um, it was it's, no, actually, it wasn't Glenn Greenwald. Excuse me, it was Jeremy Scahill and Josh Begley who reported this. And basically, you know, it's not just the NSA this time. You know, it was also GCHQ in in um, in England, and it's it's staggering the number of of um, wireless network providers that that use this company and and when you think about the potential for compromise and we still don't know how much was compromised or how much things were used and of course the the company that was hacked is is saying you know based on what our activities are showing it doesn't look like it's been that many people uh but just that you know this is this is really just kind of lets it all out there to go yeah okay are any expectation you ever have of anything that you do over the internet of any type being private you know just 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 get that out of, out of your mind because it's not going to happen. As I understand it, the, it was the the compromise was due to the fact that they were using FTP. Yes, which <laughs> I didn't realize uh. that anybody still used FTP for anything that was supposed to be secure, and I didn't realize that a company that was responsible for that kind of data would ever use email or FTP to transfer any, like even a single. Uh, encryption code yeah it doesn't make sense like that is that's almost like they made a blatant decision yeah i mean and i think that that actually is an interesting question where they kind of in on this was this something they were doing to make it easier for people to get access to this why would they do that though like i don't know i mean i don't want to be a conspiracy theorist and i don't actually believe that i'm just saying i think that that does actually open up an interesting question which is would they have had an incentive to make their systems easy to hack so that they wouldn't have to have maybe any like visible ties of, of allowing security agencies to have access to stuff. I don't know. I want to um, chalk it up to stupidity. But I do too. I the mean, the fact that this, this like the NSA, I almost feel like if there were a conspiracy, it would be that the NSA was requiring access to this stuff, but that's really right. far fetched. Like the it NSA is. could probably get it without. They probably could. requiring FTP. No, user. exactly. I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to become a conspiratard. Um, I think Occam's Razor, you know, is is likely to say, I like you said, it's probably just stupidity on their part. I wrote this thing at the end of last year, um, called uh, "2014 Was the Year Hacking Became the Norm," and it was just kind of an analysis of of all the things that happened with Heartbleed and and, and Snapchat and, and iCloud right. and the Sony Pictures hack and all these other things. And what you know, I was actually really proud of that that post. I think we mentioned it um, on, on, on prior episodes, but I bring it up because you know you think, oh, these companies that are responsible for this big stuff, obviously they're not going to use FTP. Clearly, they'll use something more secure. They'll use SSH. They'll use SFTP. They'll use something. You know, they'll, they'll use a secure tunnel. Something. Um, but at the same time, my personal, I guess, uh, 
confidence in any company, no matter who they are, of actually doing the right thing and having good internal security practices at this point has basically become nil because we see it happening all the time. And if it's happening for billion dollar companies, uh, why would, why would this be any different? You know, just the the nature of what they do doesn't necessarily change their internal um, rationales. It should, but I mean, people are lazy and, and it people um, are overworked and companies want to save money wherever they can, which is often, in things like InfoSec, and they, well, you know, hey, who's going to take advantage of this? We've got a, a pretty secure system, and it's hard for anybody to get in here with the badge, and we think that that, that our, our our network is pretty hardened. So, who cares if we're using SFT, uh, we're using FTP for this? Who cares? Well, yeah. Well, it comes down to what's the, they might not be incentivized to have weak security, but what's their incentive not to? Exactly. Well, right. I mean, and, that, and that's a, that's a really good question. You know, I mean. Obviously, they look really terrible now. Uh, Do you think anybody, any fewer customers are shopping at Target because they got their credit card database hacked? Uh, they did actually have there. There was a sales decline, but for it, how long? It, it's basically rebounded. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly. Right. It's all short term. People are very quick to forget and forgive. No, it, precisely right. I mean, it becomes a news cycle item, and that was actually something I wrote too. I you know I called it kind of you know user malaise because when all this happens, um, you know it's like. As a journalist, I've written – this is something I'm quoting myself now. As a journalist, I've written hundreds of stories about privacy and security over the years. I understand the importance of using a password manager and have written the rationale of using one at least 10 times, creating secure and unique passwords and keeping my systems and web servers up to date. Still, even I'm fatigued when yet another service is hacked or compromised. I hate to admit it, but when I hear that a major service has been, bre- has been breached, my first instinct is no longer to rush to change my password, but to sit back and see how bad it is. <laughs> oh, it was just this number of users under these conditions. Meh. I don't have to bother updating anything. And that's totally the wrong response and attitude, but if that's what I'm doing, then and I know better, then what does it mean for everybody else? And that gets that, and that's just with with things that we can control or feel like we can have some sort of impact on that doesn't even talk about, you know, if it's a, if it's a external service where you have, you know, no control over their internal security practices. And I can't boycott my carrier because they buy their SIM cards from Jamalto because everybody buys their SIM cards from Jamalto. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At a certain point, you're just kind of like, well, okay. Well, and and like the credit card companies have taken strong measures to, prevent things like identity theft to pre- yeah. uh, check on suspicious activities. So we do have that luxury yes. of just saying, okay, well, they'll take care of it. I'll get a phone call. I'll cancel transactions. It's not as scary as it used to be. Exactly. Um, it's. I think people are not aware of what can happen with just one piece of personal information, like what an identity thief is able to accomplish with some social engineering and one personal detail. So they... They do. They take a lackadaisical attitude to that kind of thing, and generally that works out fine. But it's still, I, I don't know. It's it's the world is changing quickly, and the more hacks like this that happen, the more that the companies like the credit card are very much incentivized to provide that security. If if there was only one credit card that had that kind of fraud protection, it would get the most business. Totally. And so everyone, you know, there's a competition to provide security or at least, you know, a sense of security. So, yeah, I lost my train of thought. It doesn't matter. InfoSec Taylor Swift followed me. 
Yes, yes. She, That's she, huge she, to me. She and I talk all the time. Yeah. Is, yeah, is, we're, we're, we're pretty good friends. Is the account owner a, a female or do, 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 does it not matter? Um, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm so not going to answer I can the just call it she? Yeah, totally. I don't know if she still follows me, but um, but she did one day, and it popped up on my little like iOS notifications, and I was so pleased. No, she uh, she is it's one of my favorite Twitter accounts, and um, no, I uh, we we talk frequently. There's a um kind of a secret group DM on Twitter of of, of a bunch of um women kind of in tech where we kind of um commiserate over things, and um that that she started. Um, that the account started. So no, nice. it's um, yeah, no, um, it's a great account, and um, one of my favorites. I uh, I desperately would love to have uh her on our show, but that's not going to happen because she doesn't want to be identified. Sure, I I got Doctor Drang on Systematic once. I think that's amazing. That yeah, um, but we didn't we didn't use his real name, but he told me his real name, which that's was amazing. like uh, that uh, I was tickled, um. Dr. Drang is so amazing. <laughs> it, what's amazing is that, much like Marco Arment, he can put the kind of thought and detail into a single topic that he does. And to a yep. person like me, who's kind of a, I'm a grand view, um, short attention span kind of person. And what, that kind of really? detail fascinates me. What? What are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, he he is his I I I get very little out of his engineering articles, but I read them because I'm fascinated. Same, like I don't know what you know all of his all of his math stuff that he's doing and 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 all about the, all of his latex organizational stuff and formulaic stuff. Latex, latex. I I'm sorry, I'm so bad. Latex. <laughs> I'm so terrible. His his all of his latex stuff it, and obviously all of his markdown stuff too. You know, he's just his, he's one of my favorite reads. Yeah. Um. I did an interview with uh, professors from Kent State and Miami University, Ohio. Um, but uh, they, one of the questions was, who reads my blog? Like, who are my readers? And, and whether or not I knew. And based on all the information I've ever gathered and the communication I've had, I realized that most of my readers are exactly like that. They're fascinated by the solutions to problems they don't really have. And the effort that I put into it, even though yep. they're not going to implement what I'm sharing, very few of them actually even have the interest, let alone the skills to the stuff that I give away for free takes a certain amount of effort to use. Sure. And I get I get good traffic from apparently people that are just spectators. Yeah. No, because it's it's it becomes fascinating. And I, I also think that for some of us, and I, I speak for myself because I'm kind of in that camp, I do some of the stuff. I take advantage of some of the stuff you put out, not all of it. Um, but there's kind of the thought that, like, maybe well, if I had enough time. you ask me for custom versions. I, I do. This is true. This is true. But I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, if I had enough time, if I had effort, like, I would really like to do this sort of thing. This is really cool. There's an aspirational quality and as, as well as a respect for the, for all the hard work you do and, and all the intricate little awesome things you build. And it's just, it's, it's great to read about, even if they're problems I don't have, I do love seeing that, Oh, there's a solution for that because then it makes me think about my own problems and think about well, what are more creative ways I could solve them. And, and that's is my there a way goal. I could automate it? Yeah. My, I know when I put out a script that does something very specific that nobody needs it. But my hope is always that it will inspire somebody who has a personality personality like mine 
to either take it and modify it or solve their own problem in the same way using the you know the solutions that I found in a more general way and that I, it it very rarely I get an email from someone who did exactly that and they're always like I hope you don't mind me modifying your script to do this I put it up on GitHub and no I don't mind that you're like no are you kidding me that's the greatest thing ever I want so much more of that and yes I just found myself in uh, infosec Taylor Swift follower following list woohoo yes I'm 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 happy follow fifty eight point five thousand followers. Following yeah. 2,419, and I'm in there. Hell yeah. No, that account has grown so much. Going on my so resume. Much, as it should. No, that account has grown so much. I remember when it started about a year ago, and it, you know, I guess in the fall, which was one of the first times I embedded one of the tweets in one of my blog posts, it was maybe at about, you know, 26,000 Twitter followers, and then it bumped up to 40 by Christmas, and now it's at 58,000, and I, I'm, I'm, like, waiting for the day, and it's not going to be very long before... The number of follower people who follow that account out, outweighs the number of people that follow me. I'm just going to be like, why can't I be a pop star who's also amazing at InfoSec? At the growth rate, yeah, it will it will outpace you pretty soon. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I'm 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 waiting for it. I mean, I know it's happening, and that's fine. I'm completely comp- I'm completely fine with that. But uh, it it is interesting too how. Uh, I almost feel like that account has been responsible for a large amount of of tech people kind of becoming Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> Was that the goal the whole time? You know what it might have been. I mean, maybe really that is just to push copies of 1989. Uh, but no, um, no. But but it's funny because the number of people I talk to who are like, well, you know, I love that account, and then I started listening to Taylor Swift's music, and you know, to, to quote the SNL sketch and to make our show about Taylor Swift again, you know, it's like, girl can write a song, you know, because I mean, it's, it's true. Uh, but it, it, we, we are all Taylor Swift fans. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a great dichotomy too. I mean, especially this week with the, the Superfish stuff that Lenovo, uh, the, the adware <laughs> that Lenovo had on their laptops that disables HTTPS, uh, which, um, yeah, yeah, that happened. And it had been on there for a while. Uh, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole because it's not that interesting. And most of our listeners are probably correctly Mac users, so we don't <laughs> care anyway. Um, but Doing it yeah. right. Exactly. I mean, that's one thing you can say for Apple. I remember back in the day, they used to pre-install some software. Like I remember getting um, a couple of games and I think uh, Comic Life from Plask was on there once on one of my Macs and um, whatever software they included was, was good. But then they, I guess part, sometime around sometime around 2007, they, they stopped preloading anything on their laptops or, or desktops at all, which you mean uh, aside from an operating system. Right. And, and, and aside from having even like an easy way to download iLife or whatever, you know, but they used to have third party right. apps preloaded too. And they, they, they got rid of that. And even though those were malware free and, and adware free and all that, you know, that's one of the nice things about an Apple laptop. You know, you don't have to worry about what the experience is. It's the pure experience. Um, you know, it's not like buying a windows laptop and depending on who the OEM is, you could have completely different, you know, software and, and things slowing it down before you even get started. Or in this case, disabling uh, a secure connection on the internet on any web browser that you use, which is insane because they were using a, a root certificate, um, self-signed, uh, installed <laughs> in Windows. Um, wow. And so, yeah, so it wasn't one matter. Again, of, that's that's a company making what seems like a conscious decision to do something really dangerous. Yeah, and the thing is, is that they didn't realize, I guess, how poorly the, the service that they were using, like how, how 
they their thing was was uh, portrayed and and uh, intern Rex at Mashable actually interviewed um, uh, Lenovo's CTO yesterday. He did a really good Rex did a really good job with the interview and was basically pushing him like, "Will you admit that this was a bad idea?" And they're apologizing to a certain extent, but at the same time, they're kind of also being like, "We want to be clear, you know, yes." Security professionals showed how easily this could be um, exploited. Exploited, but it hasn't been exploited except by this one guy. I hear I'm going to kind of quote from the uh, from the interview. Um, we still have no evidence that this has been done in terms of someone using it for an attack. Obviously, someone yesterday, and he's talking about Rob, um, Rob from Rob Graham from Arata Security. Uh, at yesterday afternoon, showed that they were capable of doing that. We're not debating that someone could do this. Obviously, it can be done. The issue is we're not aware of anyone actually doing it. I said right after that, we're not trying to pick a fight with the security world because the reality is we recognize it could be done. Um, it's like he's still trying to kind of like parse the whole thing out. And then they're still trying to claim, oh, we thought our users would love this. And he was like, you can't really think. And Rex even says, okay, but realistically, do you think there are customers out there who would want Superfish on their computer? It's like, I think there are many customers out there who are interested in having tools to help them shop, tools that help them do what they're doing better. Whether that's specific to one user or not, that's a different story. It's like that's completely not even wanting to answer the question. Um, In the case of the bash uh, vulnerability, yes, I I believed that the security community probably found it before anyone in like the black hat community, because it was it was a pretty obscure, recursive kind of thing. Um, this case though. It's not like anyone who actually had discovered this. It's not like you know whatever hacker circle finds the the exploit is going to write Lenovo about it. Right, exactly. And I mean Rob Arata just basically weaponized it basically, you know, to a certain extent so this is how easy it is for for this to happen. Somebody wrote publicly about it and said, "Hey, this is screwed up." But exactly, if some if some other near-to-well person found it, yeah, they're not going to talk about it. They're just going to use it to their own advantage. And then HTTPS is basically completely non-functional on these browsers and because they're using the same root certificate for everyone um <laughs> you know you could you however many people have you know lenovo machines with this installed on it can become victims to stuff it's 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 insane i never mentioned to the cab companies that they had a security vulnerability and i never mentioned to walgreens that their old practice of printing out the credit card number that was used to pay for a transaction and putting it into there's like a basket at the end of the checkout lane. Do you ever see this? Yes. It's like a plastic bin where they would put the credit card receipts right. with the personal information on them where someone walking out of Walgreens could just grab a handful. That's ridiculous. But I never told that. I didn't mention it. These days I would. These days I, I would feel obligated to point that out. Just like I point out spelling errors to people on totally. their signs, and I'm annoying like that. I was gonna say that's such an assholeish thing to do. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, uh, no, you're right. Most people aren't gonna point that out. And the thing is, is that we can all talk about responsible disclosure and this and that. But a lot of people just are just gonna be like, "Oh, I see this." And there are some people who might not even know. I mean, security, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, codes notwithstanding. Some people, you know, who are younger who might run across them and are like, "Hey." I don't even know this is something I should report. I just, hey, this is interesting. This is probably a flaw. You know? You never know. The the world is so different from the analog that I grew up in. Like, like what, what you would report maybe 
what did we have? We had like freaking, like mm-hmm. like you know, phone boxes and and uh, and whatnot. But everyone knew those existed. Everyone in the like phone phone industry knew those existed. There there weren't there wasn't the possibility in the consumer world for that kind of exploit to even exist. Yeah. Microsoft probably had a fair share back in Windows 3.1, which was like my high school years. But the, I don't know. The hacker community would disseminate the information really quickly if something was found. But I'm sure that it was really easy to also watch that community. Probably, yeah. There was there were probably people who were watching that and, and interloping it and doing, you know, I guess. I don't think um, Fido, the Fido backbone, was ever really that secure. I don't know. I don't know the details. Anyway, anyway, high school. High school? What? So okay. So in high school, I um, I was I I thought I was a black sheep. If anyone asked me, I would say I was a black sheep because I did not fit in with my family. Um, I always, you know, they loved me and I loved them, but I didn't understand them and they didn't understand me, and I couldn't believe that they believed the things they believed. And they couldn't believe that I didn't. And everyone else in my family kind of, they had an understanding about this stuff. And I didn't. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Before I explain my conclusion, did you ever have, how did you fit in with your family? Kind of the same situation. Like I knew that I, I loved my family and they loved me and they supported me. But, you know, my interests and some of my beliefs and some of my, um, especially as I got older, um, diverged from theirs. And, um, I used to always feel, I used to always joke, like I was like, I don't fit in, you know? Um, and I think there's a certain amount of that with everybody who's a teenager. Right. You feel like you don't fit in. And, and I attribute my feelings to a combination of teen angst. Sure. Combined with an inherent difference, personality difference between me and my immediate family. And it combined that turned me into like anarchist punk rocker kid. But um, it really, I, I wasn't, I could go to other, I could go to my friends' homes and feel like I fit in. Like their family agreed with my kind of worldview. And I realized that my family was, well, at the time it seemed like they were crazy. But looking back, I'm realizing. My mom's side of the family is is blue collar southern and she was kind of the black sheep in that she was the only one who went to college and she was the only one who kind of pursued a better life and her dad was a coal miner her mom was I don't know what Ruby did. she was uh, she was always my grandma she was always stay at home but she was always well past retirement so I don't know if she ever had a job but she had like seven stillborn kids or something. They lived through Awful. like depression era. But so that's my mom's side of the family. My dad's side of the family is like his dad was uh, in the 60s chief engineer for uh, chemical engineer for Monsanto. And his entire like his entire immediate family has gone on to be very um, uh, educated and possibly I would say liberal, not like not what you would call like uh when Republicans use the word progressive, you know, that venom they say it with. Right. You, you couldn't say that about them. But they are very, they're open-minded. And my dad was a black sheep in that family because he followed, he, he, he was more religious. He had a stronger sense of faith 
than I believe the rest of that kind of like passive Lutheran family did. Presbyterian, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so these two get together, these two kind of black sheeps in their own family. And when I say black sheep, I don't mean dark personality. I right. mean they didn't fit in. These two get together and they have me. And I take after a little bit of both of them. I got my, my mom's sides kind of like uh, like bipolar and depression history and all of that. And I got my dad's side uh, very uh, analytical, um, logical. But the two combined, they make me, I, I, I feel crazy. And <laughs> the weird thing is, I, I'm liberal. Like, I have always been of a left bent. And my family is extremely right bent and we never agreed and i grew up with this like um this i i had this very conservative religious upbringing but these thoughts that didn't fit with it and my like worldview for a while there became libertarian Mm -hmm. not like i didn't have a word for it at the time but i had this conservative viewpoint and these anarchist feelings and it pushed me politically far right until you know definitely until someone like told me about Ayn Rand, and I actually read Ayn Rand and decided <laughs> this was not who I am. This does right. not fit me at all. And that was when I actually put a label on it and became well, a narco syndicalist, but anarchist. And to this day, I'm I'm totally a capitalist now. I'm very much a part of society, uh, but not in my head. Right in your heart, you're still. You know, an anarchist. Well, you're in still, my heart, I, I, I feel... I, see, it's not even about, like, punk credibility or anything. It's in my heart, I believe that government isn't necessary and that it is detrimental and all of these things that do make me kind of radical. Right. But I'm also content enough to be complacent. And that's not very anarchist of me. So I don't know what I would call myself today. I guess I'm... I'm uh, a person in the 21st century today. But, <laughs> Basically. Um, but yeah, like, it's, I wasn't a black sheep in my family. I was the product of two black sheeps that maybe became what the actual combination of those two families should be. That's how I feel today. That's what I was thinking about this morning while eating pancakes with my parents who moved back to town recently. Well, a year ago now. Two years? I don't know. Time sucks. Um, but yeah. That's really interesting. I, I haven't had that same sort of revelation myself. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm different in certain ways. I'm, I'm more outspoken in some ways than either of my parents. Um, although my dad is kind of outspoken too. Um, I definitely have a lot of traits that are similar to them. I think more like my mom, although I, I definitely express myself in a different way. Um, but I still, to a certain extent, feel like. You know, there are parts of me and parts of, of where I live and what I do that, you know, my, my dad doesn't get me. And, and that's okay. I don't really get him either. I love him very much. I know he loves me, but we don't necessarily get one another. But I think that's really interesting that you kind of realize that actually you're the perfect product of these two black sheeps. Well, and of see, course you'd be a black sheep. The teen angst thing, the teen angst thing is when you feel like your parents don't understand you, but you get them. You know where they're coming from. They just don't get you. And if you have an understanding that you totally don't understand them any more than they understand you. It, it kind of, it's a, it's a more of a placid emotion. Yeah. You, you, you accept that you say, okay, we agree to disagree. There's a, there were, there were studies that I ever talk about this. Um, the, uh, physical difference in the brains between conservative and liberal. 
Uh, no, I, I'm not sure if you Compassion mentioned that or not. Center. Oh, interesting. Well, it, it correlates directly with the fight or flight reflex. Okay. Uh, like they did studies, like starting with, they would just show pictures of scary things, tarantulas and whatnot to people right. and measure their physical reaction to it. Sure. And they were able to heavily correlate statistics that showed people with a very strong fear, like fight or flight reflex were conservative and people who were more curious than scared were liberal. And then they did, uh, and I don't, it may have been a separate study, but they actually analyzed the size of a certain section of the brain that does control compassion and found physical differences between people that are conservative and people that are liberal. It's, we speak two different languages. Yeah. We will never agree. The two sides will never convince each other of anything. Debate is, it's a lost cause. It, it, politics, like at the at the level where people are actually making laws, this doesn't matter because exactly they're all so similar anyway. Right? They it doesn't matter what they believe; it only matters what they need to do to get votes within the party. They exactly. Uh, but w- among friends, uh, you know, among me and my family, for example, coming to the understanding that we we just were wired differently, that made a big difference. Like I can just I can brush things off now. See what's what's hard for me is that. I grew up and I actually, even though I always had social, I was always a social liberal, I was more of a physical conservative type in large part because I wanted and kind of even called myself a Republican, God forbid, because I was rejecting the liberalism and the, and the democratic kind of label that my father and mother had. And a I wanted to- You're a, 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 a Republican by rebellion? Yes. Wow. Um, and, and then I, when I learned more about how the world worked in politics and policies and whatnot, and especially global policies, I realized there was no way I could support, um, you know, e- even in name only the, the Republican ideals. Um, and, and I still to this day still have some fiscal things where I'm like, you know what, maybe we need to cut back on some of this stuff. But, you know, but by and large, um, because I am a capitalist, and I've never hidden from that. Uh, but by and large, you know, at this point, I'm a very liberal person. And and when I learned more about, especially after September 11th, I, there was no way that I would I would I could have ever called myself a Republican again. Um, uh, thanks, Dan Coulter, for basically being <laughs> clear that there's no way I could ever like cla- like call myself that. But I I already moved to that side, you know, probably two years beforehand. Um, but my parents had kind of the opposite thing, whereas. You know, we had Dukakis signs in our, in our in our lawn growing up, and yet my father now is very much kind of a, a right wing, more religious, definitely anti Obama, you know, pro, you know, Republican guy. And my mom, although she's much more liberal, and I think that if she were true to kind of her own ideals and and, and didn't go based on labels and kind of what my dad says and what um, maybe she sees on and hears on TV and went more with like her own gut, I think that she's definitely. Um, the definition of a, of, of a liberal, um, you know, she's shifted too. And it's been weird to watch post Clinton, you know, seeing my parents um, become conservative and, you know, and it kind of happened, you know, there was a period of time when we, we were both, I guess, on the same side, so to speak, but we didn't really talk politics. Um, and now, and I, and I've always thought about like, how does somebody go from voting for Dukakis and hating George Bush the first to voting for, you know, Bush and, 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 and Romney and, and, um, 
McCain and, and being, you know, who my dad is now. And the only thing I can honestly kind of blame is I blame talk radio. I, I almost feel like it's brainwashed him to a certain extent. You know, this you hear the same talking. The hard wiring I'm talking about, though, can change with age. Yeah. And it generally, it generally does. Uh, it bends conservative for most people as they age. Well, then that would make sense, too. That would make the, sense, too. The teenage mind, the teenage, all the way through high school, basically, you're not, your brain hasn't fully developed. Right. And, and you can have strong beliefs that you will not have in 10 years. Yeah. It's, in, it's, in, it's common for, Definitely. for people to feel, I mean, you don't see a lot of 30-year-olds at activist rallies. Right, exactly. I mean, most of the time it's because they've kind of, yeah, you kind of move past that part of your life. Um, yeah, and you get for a whatever job, reason. But... You get a job, but but, and, but also I mean, there's some people who are still there and are still part of that, but a lot of people, yeah, exactly. They no longer feel that passionately about that. You're right. Um, but it's interesting, though, you talk about the compassion part, because that is the one part where I have to say both of my parents, but especially my dad, are still very much on the left when it comes to helping anybody. My dad is always the first person who will help anyone and and even if he doesn't have things himself is is one of the one of the things i I admire most about him is is his um willingness to to give to others to the point that sometimes when he doesn't have it himself i'm going okay you know what you actually need to not do this you need to be less compassionate because sometimes (laughs) it can be it can be to your detriment you know and and it's it's not good things but i mean growing up you know we was always part of who we were that you help the less fortunate that you extend a hand and help a friend that you are there for someone that you do that you know that you give and give back and that's just part of his core values um well my parents too but i discovered the limitations of that as i grew older i discovered that there was a certain there are people that you don't help because you know there there are people with certain agendas that if you give them money if you do anything to assist any of them they're going to take over and they're going to burn your church down and all of these things that really weren't true so there's like a prejudice behind it your parents sound a lot more uh, even keeled, and mine have mine have evened out a lot since I was a kid. But yeah, I was gonna say because mine. I mean, I, I don't even think it would go into you know like thinking about like what are people gonna do with this. You know, it's just if somebody needs help, they need help regardless of anything else. And that's how I am. Like if if that's you how need I am something too. and I have something, it's yours. Like I have given away so many things, and I never miss them. Like I don't if if it if I felt like it did someone else more good than it did me. Including cash, it, I, I'm happy to give it away. Like I don't even think twice about it. Much to the chagrin of people who uh, share finances with me, but <laughs> it's um. Yeah, I I, t- I typically don't give stuff to to you know homeless people. Um, well, and and there are reasons yeah. for that. You know, that becomes a whole other. You don't thing, give I mean, money to people who are basically scamming you. Right. I mean, there that kind of comes few, down to it. Very few there are a lot of handlers are, that are legit. Absolutely, it, totally, and 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 you know. And how you all often know is if you offer to buy them food and they're like, no, I don't want your food. I yeah, your exactly. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, you know what? Like, I'll buy you food, but I'm not going to buy – you know what I mean? And yeah. And what then, about then this that's... fifth of whiskey? Do you want that fifth of whiskey? Exactly. Exactly. Mm, train of thought. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I forgot. Damn it. I had a good point to make about the current conversation that was relevant. Yeah. This episode of Overtired is brought to you by Connected Data, makers of the Transporter personal cloud device. Transporter is a device for creating your own private cloud. Uh, you, you can use it to sync files and folders between Macs, PCs, and iOS devices and Android devices 
and transporters sync to other devices, meaning you can easily create an off-site backup solution with it. Unlike Dropbox, you can share folders from anywhere on your system instead of just inside a Dropbox folder. Uh, so like your documents and your music, your pictures, etc. You can share anything anywhere. And they even store versions now. Uh, every time a file changes, uh, about every minute it's going to save a, a new version of that file and you can restore older versions and it's totally private you control everyone who has access to your transporter and no data is stored on a server like Dropbox everything has to go up to the cloud with Transporter, you own the cloud. You are the cloud. If you erase a file locally, all copies of it are erased. With Transporter, you buy it once, and there are no more recurring fees. So listeners can save 20% off their purchase. That's $20 off on Transporter Sync by using the code TIRED20. When you buy it, filetransporterstore.com. That's www.filetransporterstore.com. And buyers using this code will also get free shipping. This episode of Overtired is brought to you by Paddle, the best way to manage and sell your apps and games as an indie developer. If you're selling software that you make, Paddle is like coming home to family that supports you no matter how much of a weird, iconoclastic black sheep you are at heart. Paddle's in-app analytics SDK is completely free to use. doesn't matter how big your app is. They have quick and easy integration. You just put in three lines of code and you're done. They give you great data right out of the box, too. You can say goodbye to complex configurations because it just does the work for you. You want to track app launches? Great. You can do that. If you want to know about the devices and OSs that people are using your app on, you're covered there, too. App versions and much more are displayed on a gorgeous dashboard as soon as you integrate. Go with me for a second on this analogy, but think of Paddle as a hyper-intelligent, magic-talking dog from a kid's movie. The good kind, not the garbage they're putting out now. And it can do things for you while you sleep, because this show is all about catching up on your sleep. And then when you wake up, she or he has done all this work for you. And you go, how'd you do that, Paddle? And Paddle says, because I love you and I want you to be happy. And then you say, Paddle, you can talk. And then Paddle says, of course I can talk. I'm a magic-talking dog. Instead of using a bunch of different analytic services, separate logins, separate interfaces, you get all of your data with Paddle across all platforms, Mac, iOS, Android, Windows, all of it, you name it, on one single beautiful dashboard. Then you choke back a tear and say, Paddle, you're, you're amazing. So again, go with me on this. Paddle is like a magic talking dog in a movie that you loved when you were a kid, the kind that lives forever and makes indie devs happy. Yes, everything I just said was ridiculous, but unless you're a monster who hates great things like no-hassle analytics and adorable dogs, support Overtired by visiting paddle.com slash podcast to learn more. Now, back to the show. My mom listens to this show on occasion. My mom does too, so I was actually thinking about that. I was like, hey mom, you're going to really enjoy um, you talking about this stuff. See, I don't, think, I don't think I've said anything thus far that my mom would... That my mom doesn't already know that I. Think. No, my mom already knows everything I've said. She's probably just going to be in in her waspish way. And I love you, mom. If this part gets left in there, is uh, you know, hey, uh, don't share these things with outsiders. <laughs> my mom won't say that. She'll she'll she might have a concerned conversation with me if I did say anything that we haven't talked about before. But I'm pretty sure this is all. And we we've both talked about some of this stuff, and we've yelled about some of this stuff. 
more yeah, I do. She she just she gets quiet and, and sad when I get really frustrated and passionate. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, no, I, I've definitely had all these conversations with my mom. Um, I think sometimes you know my honesty, especially um, being pseudo public as we both are, sometimes surprises her. But it is what it is. My parents know that I will say anything to anybody. Mostly true stuff. Yeah, mostly true stuff. We, no, for- we had a it was a conversation over breakfast about evolution. It was the last time that I argued, last time I passionately argued with my parents, and that did it didn't end well. Like again, there was no convincing either of us about the other's points, no matter how many facts were brought to light or how much history was was exposed. Um, and it ended with some tears and some very awkward long period of silence and never again. That was the last time. And that was, I think two years ago. And mm-hmm. I realized at that point I, I didn't have contact with my parents for a long time. So when we came back together, I thought things would be different as far as politics go. It, it wasn't, but I've learned as soon as I feel passionate about something they say, I could just let it go. I'm like, yeah, that's them. <laughs> this is me. Yeah. Anyway, Sorry. No, I, totally I, I think that's important you to say that. No, I think it's important to say. It's important to be able to just ignore stuff. It that's, is, and I th- like there's something comforting about that. <laughs> not reading comment sections. Uh, well, it is. I think it's just becoming comfortable with the fact that you're not going to agree with everybody on everything, and that everyone's not. I think more importantly, people are not going to agree with you on everything. Oh, and yeah, accepting that is <laughs> when you stop trying to convince people of your own beliefs about things that aren't black and white, but they seem black and white to you. Once you realize what's gray area, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, and you stop trying to convince people, especially at parties after you've had a couple of drinks, you become a better person. Act on your beliefs. Don't yell them at people. There's a guy, we have a porn shop here in town. It's been there for like 10 years. Um, but there's a, a guy... And he has boycotted. He it's his job to stand. He's actually he's uh, the court order. He can't be within a block of it now. And I think it closed this year. But anyway, for ten years he stood there every day with a sandwich board, saying things like, "Hasn't ten years been long enough? <laughs> Get porn out of Winona." <laughs> and it was, I he yeah. I I know things about him that I'm not allowed to share because my in laws are social workers, but. It was amazing the dedication that he had to the belief that a porn store was going to destroy this town of 25,000 people. (laughs) Like, just to the point where he literally dedicated his life to it. It was sleep and boycott for years. I I can't understand that kind of passion. I have passion, but not like that. I have passion, but not for, I don't know. I mean, I, there's, there's something, I don't know. I mean, I don't respect that, but, um, I mean, I, I don't not respect that. I mean, what I'm saying, I don't agree with that, but I mean, if you're, if you're that. Yeah. Passionate. See, but that gets to the point of literally mental illness, like, <laughs> but, but, but like Occupy, like I, I agree with Occupy. I respect 
where Occupy started, not necessarily where it ended. But no, no, not at all where it ended because it just became crazy people, genuinely. It just became right. – the crazies took over and ruined the entire idea of the movement to me. Right. It, it, by the end of it, it was like, you know, I mean literally – I mean even now it still has devolved into trolls and crazy people mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and it's a, it's boring a joke factions. Thing. It is a joke, but even the people like fighting over the Twitter account and stuff like that, like there's – you know, it's just become this, this, this uh, you know, weird cause – of just this opportunity for crazy people to be crazy. But here's the thing is at the time when it first started, when it first started getting publicity, a lot of us thought, yes, that's true. That's worth doing. But yes. our complacency kept us from partaking. And and it would have been yeah. a huge sacrifice for most of the world. But that lack of participation and critical mass that's why it is where it is today. It wasn't. Well, we're not ready for that kind of. No, we're overthrow. not. Overthrow. No, but 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 having actually been here in New York when that was happening, at least the the New York Occupy movement, there were a lot more people than you would think early on who were at least taking days off of work and going to volunteer to help, and people who were medics and people who were other things, really wanting to be part of the cause. What happened is that very quickly the radicalized elements. Um, and and I, I don't even necessarily mean this in a bad way, but the people who – this is what they do for a living where they go from cause to cause to cause yes. um, became involved. And what they didn't anticipate was that in addition to their involvement and they kind of had their own kind of like way of how things go and how things are organized, you know, the, the quote-unquote community organizer types, uh, came head-to-head with frankly a lot of mentally ill people who were using the whole fact that they created these camps and all this stuff to to live and, and to disrupt things. And then it be kind of came this war of other factions and other ideas too. Um, and it just very quickly spiraled out of control. And I think that by the time, you know, they got kicked out of um, – the park in October, it had already kind of devolved into everything. But uh, even earlier on to that, I think that the, the people who, whatever chance that, that had to become anything bigger, I think was blown way early on um, because of just the, the reality of, of the lack of, of, of concentrated messages and lack of any real leadership and, and just the, the sheer amount of, of kind of chaos and crazy. But early on, there were more people than you would think who were regular people who it seemed like considered, you know, if not well, giving yeah, up everything because, to be there. Because the philosophy of, of the movement was correct. Right. The philosophy of the movement, well, to, to the majority of Americans, it was a valid point and something worth, you know, fighting for. But it wasn't worth putting up with the politics and fragmentation unless something gets critical. And then, see, and then, and I got into this debate uh, recently on another podcast, but then you hit the point where the only way to make it work is fascism. Yeah, basically. The, and it, or, or the way the Republicans do where you, you basically, you're lock and step with the party and they get things done. Right. I mean, that that actually was kind of one of the most interesting things about watching the whole Occupy thing from a, from afar kind of collapse was that you got to basically see how these sorts of, um, you know, d- um, agreement by consensus and, and these decision by consensus things really don't work um, and, and why democracy works. And, and frankly, why you oftentimes for things to get done, you need strong leadership. You need someone who's really going to, to come in and just, just take control over things. You know, you need that charismatic personality to, to, you, to, to, in, to do any, stuff. In any situation, not just like political situation. No, in as anything. As a freelance designer, 
my nightmare was reporting to a board instead of a, a point contact. Exactly. If you had to submit your ideas to an entire room of people, you would get different feedback from everyone. You would walk out with nothing. No, you would get nowhere, and they would eventually let you go because they couldn't decide. Um, if they put one point person who, who handles like funnels and makes the final decision, that, you're so much better off. You need, a, you need a president who's politically responsible to its constituents. Yes. It's democracy. It is. Democracy Thank still you. has a point contact, though. It really does. It really does. <laughs> our, but... relationships with, our, our relations with foreign countries do not uh, run their decisions through us first. No. Delegation and election. Anyway, th- thanks, we're going to have to keep Italy. talking for a while because this episode has gotten so political. That's what happens when you kick off with Snowden. Um, it is what happens but, when you kick off with Snowden. Exactly. We're going to need some um, extra material in case we need to edit. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and uh, Grant is cold in the other room. So um, it, can we wrap it up in about 10 minutes? Does that sound oh, okay? Yeah. Okay. Totally okay. fine. I wouldn't want Grant to be cold. Why is Grant cold? Because it's freezing in our house because it's freezing outside. And, and um, you shut off the room that has the heat vent? Exactly. Do you have radiators? No, but we have um, a space heater in the room that I'm in. So, <laughs> so he's miserable. What's your, what's your weather? What's your temperature right now? Uh, it's like 27 outside, but the wind chill is way lower. Earlier this week, I mean, yesterday it was like one degree. Yeah, that's what we had too. It was one degree with negative 20 wind chill. Yeah, that's and where we were. I, I left the house for the first time in three days last night, purely. Like, I, would, I would, didn't even want to go out and get the mail. Like, something, I, no, I it was wussy. Walking, walking through um, the city yesterday was pretty brutal. Yeah. I mean, it Unless was you have a new coat. David Chartier was posting that. He was very happy walking around in Chicago right now because he had a brand new wool coat. Nice. That he got I mean, on sale I, and he was so happy. My coat was fine. Um, the thing is, and, and my head was fine, um, but like my, my face got cold. The worst thing, though, was actually, I, even though I had nice gloves on, like my fingers were still getting like red and chapped inside my gloves. That's how cold it was. Yes. I, I, I know how that is. I've been through. Um, at least 25 Januarys in Minnesota. Wow. So I'm familiar so with no, that. So you, oh, totally. I mean, because, and you've got like Canada weather. I mean, Grant was even saying he used to live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and he was like, mm-hmm. this is Canada cold right now. And and for New yeah. York, we're not used to that. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, where you are in Minnesota and some people in Michigan, you know, in other parts of, of, of kind of the Midwest, you know, upper, upper Midwest um, are used to that. Uh, this, for us, I mean, Niagara Falls doesn't freeze every day. Right. Uh, or every year. And, and it's frozen now, which is kind of beautiful, but still insane. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what's funny is people who don't people, – people from the south or from countries with more temperate climates, they see pictures of where places like Niagara Falls or even like any like ski slope, and they think it's beautiful, and they have no understanding that it's, it's dangerously cold. And that is uh, that's been a shock to many uh, people. Like we had Filipino visitors that were convinced that snow was just awesome until they actually tried to make a snowball with their bare hands. Anyway, we got to talk about Birdman. Yeah, we do. We do. So uh, it's nominated for Best Picture, and Michael Keaton's nominated for Best Actor, and it's nominated for a bunch of other awards at the Oscars. Which, as we record this, will be happening on Sunday. Um, we will um, not be talking too much about this because obviously this is going to go back for the Oscars, so we don't want to do too much of an Oscar conversation now. But Birdman, it's a 
we've both seen it. Um, it was to me when I saw the the trailer for it during um, Gone Girl. I was like, this looks kind of interesting. And then I, I've seen it now, and it's it was a really good film, and it was really surprised me. Uh, it was by more than I expected was. it to be. Same. I was not expecting it to be anywhere near as good. And the cinematography was as if David Lynch had matured right after Twin Peaks. Yes. Or even to me, it was it was it had the bizarreness that uh, you found like even Lost Highways era, but it felt Lynchian without feeling like it was doing things just for the sake of being weird. The scene where what's her name from Stray Days, um, uh, the the junkie daughter. What was em- the, Emma Stone? Yeah, Emma Stone. The scene where she's kind of going off on her dad, and the camera angle. Is it's a, like a fish eye shot, like right into her, like big eyes, and it made her look like bug eyed, but just subtly to the point where you might not think about it. You just it increased the magnitude of what she was saying so well. And right before the end, there's a scene where he's he, he I, won't, I won't give no spoilers, but he's in one room, and he goes into the bathroom. And before he goes into the bathroom, the room is lit yellow. And when he comes out of the bathroom, the room is lit blue. As if he had been in the bathroom for way longer than you would have thought. But it was a 30-second part of the movie. And, like, they very clearly, very meticulously changed the lighting while he was in the bathroom. Because it was a single shot. And stuff like that, I annoyed the heck out of my wife. Because I was pointing those things out the whole time we were watching it. I was fascinated. I almost didn't get to enjoy the brilliant schizophrenic storyline because I was so obsessed with the really great, in my opinion, decisions that were being made by the director. That was best picture. I don't think that uh, the English patient should have won. But um, I I was so angry that Edward Norton didn't win because to me his performance was just so incredible in Primal Fear. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. Oh, no, I, I was... Doing the same thing. I was praising Edward Norton because he literally, he can do a movie like Hulk or yes. or Fight Club or Bourne, and he can he can still impress you. <laughs> Where very few people actually shine in more like action-based movies, he yeah. does. But then he can turn around and do something like Birdman, where he plays an intensely like tortured, uh, emotional character. And he can play the hell out of it. Yeah, no, and he's, I mean, that's really his bread and butter. You know, you think about, you know, uh, American History X and, and again, Primal Fear and, and even Fight Club, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, he's so, he's so good in those sorts of roles and he can do stuff that almost no one else can do. And he, like he's he just can, such a he, good actor. He can put the fourth wall back for me. Even in a movie that is easy to deconstruct visually like this one. He is so believable. He in this movie he plays an actor, a stage actor. So he's 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 a movie film star playing a stage actor in a movie and I I was able to just completely move back into the movie after noticing things like yellow to blue light changes. He would bring me back in and I would not feel that like dropped fourth wall at all. It was amazing. He was he was he I don't know, everyone in that movie felt like they were very appropriately cast. 
And it was a great role for Emma Stone, too. I love her. Ever since yeah, I, I love her. Yeah, Easy A. Um, easy, ah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Easy A. No, she's great. She's really likable. She's really well done. I, I still I didn't like the help, but I mean, you know, but I love her. I didn't see the help. Am I bad for not seeing that? No. Is, am I bad for not caring much about Oprah or anything correlated with her? Um, you're, yeah, you should care about Oprah because she's great. But I'm, I'm, I'm probably racist. Probably. Probably yeah. you are, but I mean, um, oh my God, that's what I was going to talk about during the high school conversation was the fact that I could never have liked Taylor Swift back then. No, I, you couldn't. Have. I was not allowed to by my own like moral code. If everyone else liked it, I couldn't. You would have had to hate it. Absolutely. And the I mean, only person I've ever really gotten into an argument with about Taylor Swift and whether or not she had any talent was a high school person or like someone fresh out of high school still in that stage. Oh, completely. I mean, and we've all been that, where we, we conform by not conforming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the irony there, is that you hate everything that everybody loves, and then that just becomes a form of conformity in and of itself. Well, dude, look at, look at the Mohawk variety at a punk rock show, exactly. and you realize it's a uniform. It is. No, and, and I figured that out while I was still in high school, and I would kind of comment on that, and, and that didn't go over well with a lot of the people that I was in high school with, um, which is why I, I, you know, I hung out with more people who were older than, than me, and I'm not trying to say I was better or anything like that, because I certainly was, and I certainly had my own hangups, my own issues, but I did figure out that aspect, like, fairly early on, where I was like, oh, this is just the, this is your uniform. You know, which is why I wore my preppy clothes that I liked. It's why I hung out with the punks and wore Abercrombie and Fitch. Because, frankly, to me, that was actually more rebellious. <laughs> and in a weird way, it was. In a weird way, it was, actually. You know what I mean? Because well, they're not- all... They're, they were, I mean, they were doing them, which was fine. But it was just like, okay, I'm not supposed to... You know, I looked like everybody else to them. But I wasn't hanging out with everybody else. I was hanging out with people I wanted to hang out with. And I, just, I looked how I wanted to look. That is actually really bizarre because like your, your kind of dress code that you choose is how it's how you associate with a group and it's how you meet people. Like it is, there are, there are certain personalities that can always pick each other out. Uh, very codependent types will will just draw into each other without, it doesn't matter what they're wearing or how they look. But when, when I would go to a new campus or, uh, to a new place, being the guy with the studded, you know, sleeveless jean jacket and the uh, like greasy spiked hair, I would meet the people that I immediately associated with simply because I basically it was a beacon. Right. No, and it was weird because for me, I would see those people and I would immediately be gravitated towards them. I would be like, oh, these are my people. And they would kind of look at me and be like, no, you're not. And I was like, no, actually, let's talk. And they'd be like, oh, okay, actually, you are one of us. Yeah. Okay. So that weird. never would have worked for me. I wasn't confident enough to. No, for me it wasn't so much confidence. It was my mom would would have died if I would have dressed <laughs> that way. Um, and if I'm also being honest, I didn't really. I don't know if I would have looked good in those types of clothes. There was a certain vanity there, and a certain my mom would have absolutely died if I if I wore those sorts of things. See, but that uh, vanity and that kind of it's pretension. Uh, like that should have made you not fit in with people that were. Basically dressing in a way that showed that they felt like rejects. Yeah. But I mean, I, I internally felt like a reject. So, I mean, again, I've always compared myself to Lindsay Weir from Freaks and Geeks because that's basically who I was. I just but. started watching that. Show. I only saw like two episodes when it was actually on. It's such a good show. We have actually, to talk about it after, after you get through it. But She's actually she, really good. She, oh, she, Linda Cardinelli is, is, uh, is fantastic. Um, 
No, but that that basically was me in high school. Like that's the that's probably the closest of any TV character that I've ever like a, like really like resonated with so clearly was that that was so much of my high school experience and so much of who I was where I was kind of you know went from being one way when I was younger to being another way kind of um, emotionally and mentally in my interests. Um, but if you notice, you know, even when she wears like her jacket or whatever, like she doesn't look like the rest of the freaks, right? You know. She still is 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 looking like her. That's um, the definition of an outsider: is someone who hangs out with the outsiders but doesn't fit in. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I but I felt like I did fit in. I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess I didn't in some ways, but I still felt like I That's did. So it, weird. That's so weird that you would be drawn to the people who absolutely didn't feel like they fit in anywhere, but you would feel like you fit in with them and like with the world. That's uh, like unfathomable to me. It's cool. I mean, I'm sure you're a more w- well-adjusted person than I am because of it. Well, I mean, it wasn't like I, I, I felt like I – they felt I, – I felt more like I associated with them more than anybody else. I didn't feel like I fit in with the rest of the world who I looked like. I felt like I fit in with the freaks and yeah. the punks. See, I didn't, and they, I didn't even feel like I fit in there. But it was it was it, well, a, it took a, a, long a time. last resort for me. It took a long time. I didn't always feel confident in that, and there were there were moments where I would have to feel like. And actually, if I'm being honest, no, there were periods of time where I totally didn't feel like I fit in even with them. I felt like I was a poser. I felt like they didn't accept me. Right. And then That's when they actually and then, and then when they said to me, "No, you know, we we like you. You're our friend." Then it became, "Oh, okay." Um, and once you're I just my became, new family. And once I became comfortable with who I was as a person, and I I credit therapy a lot with this. Then it stopped mattering so much. And when I got to college, you know, I didn't really hang out with the punks and the freaks. You know, I hung out with, I was, had the more traditional college experience and I had a great time. Um, but I still really liked those people and I still really liked artistic, different people. And I, I still do to this day. They're my favorite types of people. You know, if I see somebody who has kind of an interesting, unique look, I'm probably going to get along with them better than, than somebody who looks more like me on the surface. See, I went, um, I went to art school for college. So those were the normal people. Yeah, exactly. And and I and I I went to film school. So I mean, I I was in a traditional college, but you know, I was taking my film classes. So I kind of had the best of both of those sorts of things where I could be artistic kind of, you know, person. Although to be honest, sometimes the art, the artistic, you know, kind of like the pretension involved there kind of got to me to a point where I rebelled against the pretension. Sure. Um, you because are I, you're I, a consistent uh anti-mainstream person. You know what it is more than that? It's that sometimes I'm anti-mainstream, I guess, by embracing my mainstreamness. Like, it's like, yes, I'm a basic bitch, but so are you sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I like what I like. And I, I, by the time I was 20, I felt very comfortable in just being me. And, and now that I'm in my 30s, I feel even more comfortable. I'm just, I am who I am. You, you can take me or leave me. And I can definitely <laughs> learn and change and, and evolve as a person. I don't want to be like tied into to one specific thing and I want to be able to continue to grow as a person but I'm, I'm the type of person that I do know that people either like me or they don't most of the time they're they're very rarely do people have you know kind of a mixed opinion um and that's okay you know I, I try to be um you know I but 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 I also know that I'm you know I I am who I am and 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 I I'm comfortable with that I see I've become like adamantly myself not defensively but I I'm basically if I if someone disagrees with not what I'm saying, I'm fine. To, I'm fine with debate. But if someone disagrees with who I am and my like my worldview and my core beliefs, I, I basically I'm very forward about exactly how many flying fire trucks I give. Right. And to the point where sometimes I regret um, being so 
adamant about who I've decided to be, but I'm very comfortable with it. Yeah. No, I think that's why we get along. We we don't we don't have a facade. You know, we we are who we are. I wish I felt like this in high school. But Grant's Me too. probably really cold. Grant is really cold, so we gotta stop. But uh this was a really fun episode. It it was good. It was good because it was um we had like three things on the show notes. Yep. And and we we somehow never failed to fill time. We never do because I could talk to you forever. We we probably could because I actually feel like I, I'm sad that you have to go and I'm sad for Grant being cold. Tell Grant I I'm know. sorry about his chill though. <laughs> I will. I will. I hope he doesn't get sick. No, he's fine. He's All fine. Right. All right. Well, I I have actually slept for two nights in a row. Yay! But I'm going to get some sleep anyway, and I don't know how uh, cold your apartment gets at night. <laughs> but I hope you're able to sleep as well. I will. Well, we've got the we've got the space heater in the bedroom, so we're good. Mm, uh, fire hazard. You know, it's a nice one from Amazon. Um, it like turns and stuff. It's nice. Awesome. Uh, ac- like acrylic, like the. Yeah. yeah okay. Anyway. <laughs> we're All right. good. Have All right, a good get some night, sleep. Christina. YouTube bread. All right, get some sleep. All right, you too. The system is going down low.